Hello, everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, a weekly half hour of storytelling and conversation about mythology and how it informs our lives today. I'm your local mythologist, Catherine Savela. I live here in Joshua Tree, and I'm pleased to bring this program to the high desert and beyond here on Radio Free Joshua Tree. Last week I said that the trickster is an archetype that is a recognizable pattern or motif that shows up in mythologies around the world. Coyote, who was the star of last week's show, is just one of the many faces of the trickster. Today we're going to continue our exploration of the archetypal trickster by meeting Ishu, the West African version. Ishu is an Orisha, which is the Yoruban term for God, and he is a member of the Yoruban pantheon of gods, with some similarities to the Greek god Hermes. I know that West Africa might seem very far away, and geographically it is, but you can find the influence of this mythology in our contemporary culture. The Yoruban spiritual practices and stories were brought over by the slaves, where they have blended with Christianity that was forced upon those people to create some variations. Santeria and the voodoo religions, for example, which are practiced today. And in those, Ishu is often called Legba or Papa Legba. In kind of a gross cultural misunderstanding, Christians who had contact with these mythologies and spiritual practices mistook Ishu for the devil because he was a troublesome figure. But remember, tricksters are amoral. They are above and beyond our notions of good and bad. And I'd like to point out the tremendous vitality of this tradition. Ishu and the Yoruban gods helped people survive those terrible times of slavery. This is a trickster who knows how to survive and assist human beings in their struggles to do the same. A key principle in the Yoruban religion is ashe, which is the ability to make things happen. And the spiritual life goal of a practitioner is to have good character. Good character is defined as gentle, generosity, and composure, or coolness. And if that notion of coolness brings to mind the magic and mastery of black musicians like Miles Davis and Lester Young, then you've got it. That's what I mean by cool. And I think that is, yes, pretty cool. (laughs) Ishu and the Orishas are pretty involved in human lives. They need us and we need them. They are typically imagined in human form. Ishu is sometimes seen as an old man and sometimes as a child. And his primary role is mediating between the realms, between the gods and between the human beings. You might recall what I said last week about tricksters, that they are travelers and that they are the gods of the in-between. Ishu is also closely connected to this task of developing Ashe. Because to have ashe, to have mastery or effectiveness in the world, you have to be able to distinguish between truth and falsehood. 
and you have to cultivate the art of recognizing significant communication. That is, you have to know when opportunity crosses your path. You have to be able to read the signs. These are among the lessons of the crossroads, which is Ishu's realm. Like all tricksters, Ishu is the god of the in-between, of thresholds, and turning points. At crossroads, these are metaphorical crossroads I'm talking about, we make choices. Some doors open and some doors close. We pick a path. We make important, possibly life-changing decisions. So Ishu, the god who appears at such times and places, is very important, obviously. The story that I'm going to tell now is one of the most famous stories about Ishu. It's a story about Ishu's hat. And I'll be surprised if after you've heard it, you can't think of at least one instance in which you have met this trickster. So, on to the story. And many thanks again to Philip Rosenberg for his help in putting together this program, including the drumming. Right now, I want you to sit back, relax, And I invite you to pay attention to the moments in the story that pique your interest or speak to you. They can tell you something about where you are in this story today. Once there were two men, fine friends, who lived in the same village. These two men had known each other since boyhood, and they loved each other like brothers. They lived next door to each other. They ate all of their meals together. They even kept their fields in close proximity to each other. One of them farmed the land on the south side of the road that led out of the village, and the other farmed the field on the north side of that road. These two men were absolutely inseparable. Every morning, the two men met outside with their lunch and tools in hand, and walked up the road together. All morning long, one would hoe and chop in one field, and the other would hoe and chop in the other field across the road, and at lunchtime they would stop and come together under a big tree and eat together. After lunch, maybe they would take a nap, and then they would go back to work until the end of the day and walk back home together, where they would then share their dinner. The people in the village were so used to seeing these two men together like this that they could barely think of one man without thinking of the other. One day, Ishu came along. One day, Ishu came into the village. And he saw the two men greet each other in the morning. And he saw how close they were. And he decided to have a little bit of fun with them. That day, the two friends, who loved each other like brothers, walked up the road as always, and the one man went into the field on the south side of the road, and the other man went into the field on the north side of the road. They chopped, and they hoed, and they chopped, and they hoed, and it was a really hot day, so at one point they both paused to wipe the sweat from their brow. As they were standing there, leaning on their hose, they saw a stranger come down the road. 
It was a really, really nice-looking man on a horse. And the man was wearing a cap. Now, there was not a lot of traffic on this road. The village was small, and there were not very many people who had their fields out in that direction. So the passing of this stranger was kind of a big event. Both of the men stopped. They noticed the man, and he waved at them, and they waved back at him. When it was time to stop for lunch, the two friends, who loved each other like brothers, met under the tree and opened up their lunch and started to talk about their morning. The man with the field on the south side of the road said, Oh, my dear friend, did you see that fine-looking man come by on the horse? And the man with the field on the north side of the road said, I certainly did. Oh, he was a fine-looking man on a fine horse. And I really liked his black cap. His friend looked at him and said, I liked the cap too, brother, but it wasn't black. Why, it was red. And his friend, who loved him like a brother, said, No, no, the cap was black. And the other man, who had never disagreed with his friend before, insisted, I tell you, the cap was red. Black, said his friend. Red. Black. Red. Black. Red. It was a black cap, and you know it. So why are you being so obstinate? Said one man. It was a red cap, and why are you being so stubborn? Said the other. Black, I say, and you must be a fool. Said one man. Red, said the other. And you must be blind. The two men got quite angry with each other. And before you know it, they were cuffing each other and rolling around in the dirt, yelling and insulting each other at the top of their lungs. The people way down in the village heard them and came running up the road to see what was going on. They were shocked to find these two friends these men who loved each other like brothers, fighting in this way. The villagers jumped into the fray and pulled the men apart to find out what was the trouble. The man with the field on the south side of the road said, A man on a horse came by this afternoon in a fine red cap, and this fool insists that the cap was black. The man with the field on the north side of the road said, Well, this idiot needs to do something about his eyes because the cap was black. The people stood around scratching their heads and they weren't sure which was more confusing, the bit about the cap or the sight of these two dear friends fighting. In the midst of all of the hullabaloo, up rode Ishu, wearing his cap. The two men saw him and said, There he is! There's the man! Ishu waved at them, and they waved back. Then Ishu slowly turned his head to the right, 
and he slowly turned his head to the left. The two men who loved each other like brothers were dumbfounded. The cap was red on one side and black on the other. They got down on their knees in front of Ishu and asked, Ishu, why, why did you mess with us like that? And Ishu replied, Causing discord is my greatest joy. And he rode away. If you're just tuning in, this is your local mythologist, Catherine Savela, bringing you Myth in the Mojave. And this week, we're talking about Ishu, the Western African trickster from the Yoruban tradition. In the story that I just told, Ishu messes around with two very close friends to make the obvious point that truth is a matter of perspective. I say obvious because when we hear the story, I think we can easily imagine that we would not be taken in like these two friends. But isn't that the sort of thing that happens all the time? We get so fixed to our perspective that we forget that there are many, many, many perspectives all existing simultaneously and all with their own truth. That's one of the important lessons that the trickster teaches us. And that Ishu's story gets it across very clearly. But Ishu doesn't only mess around with human beings. He also dares to play tricks on the gods, including the very high god. They say that the high god once had a marvelous garden full of yams. And Ishu came along and saw the garden and the yams and suggested to the high god that perhaps someone would be tempted to steal those yams. And the high god laughed that off. He couldn't imagine that anybody would have that kind of chutzpah. But that night, Ishu stole into the high god's house and stole his slippers. And then he snuck into the garden. He stole all of the yams and he left wearing the high god's slippers and leaving those kinds of tracks in the moist earth. The next day, the high god went out to his garden and found that all the yams were gone and all of the gods gathered together in a state of great consternation. And Ishu showed up and he said, well, you know, you can find the culprit by looking at the tracks. Well, and of course, then they looked at the tracks and they were the big flat feet of the high god himself. Now, the high god realized that he had been tricked by Ishu. And this was the point where he decided that he was not going to live on our earth any longer. And he left to live permanently at heaven. But he did make Ishu his messenger. And ever after, the trickster was required to go back and forth between heaven and earth every day to deliver news of our activities to the high God. Now, that's one way to make yourself indispensable, right? Create a problem and then be the solution. Now, one thing to note about tricksters is that they are very much connected to the body. 
Tricksters are always eating, farting, fornicating, and that's another form of their being in between, of being creatures of the middle. They are very much embodied, and yet they are immortal. And part of their paradox is that the sacrilege of the trickster, their gluttony, for example, the stealing and eating of all of these yams, the sacrilege of the trickster makes things sacred. It reminds us that eating, for example, is a sacred act. Life and death are connected in the act of eating. Something always dies when something else eats. That's a profound thing that it's very easy for us to forget these days because our food largely comes wrapped in plastic wrap, but we haven't figured out yet a way to eat without killing something, and there is still the need to honor life and to remember that it's a continuous cycle. So we can take this connection to the body and this paradox of the sacred and the sacrilegious and connect that then to ritualized sacrifice which is not something that we practice very much in this culture. But sacrifice is a way of ritualizing the knowledge of this relationship between life and death. And in the Yoruban tradition, another way to build ashe is through reverence and sacrifice. And that leads us up to our next story. This story is called Feeding the Gods. And I invite you to listen and let the story take you where it will, noticing the points that are of most interest to you. One time, long ago, the gods were hungry. None of them had enough to eat, and all 16 of them felt the constant grumble in their bellies. Their wandering children on the earth, the human beings, neglected them. The human beings made little sacrifices and did not feed the gods enough. So some of the gods tried hunting and fishing. They caught one antelope and one fish, and alas, these did not last very long. The gods were so hungry that tempers got very short, and they wondered how they might get sustenance from the human beings again. Shango, the god of thunder, sent down lightning bolts and pelted the earth with meteorites, and the humans were afraid, but they did not turn to the gods. They rebuilt their houses, and some of them moved into caves. The human beings did not make sacrifices of meat or fish. They did not pour out oil or palm wine. They did not leave feathers or beads or cowrie shells. Next, Olukun, god of the sea, caused great tidal waves and storms. Aiku, the god of death, came down and took many people. The human children suffered, but they still did not remember the gods. They did not make sacrifices of roasted goat and fowl and yams. They did not leave sweets. They did not pour out palm wine. The situation in heaven was getting rather desperate. Yamoha, the great mother, went to Ishu and asked him to get involved. This is a problem that only you can solve, she said, and Ishu agreed. 
He traveled all around, up and down, between heaven and earth every day. And he knew many things, because he could talk to everyone. Yamoha told him, Threatening them doesn't seem to work. We have pounded and pelted them and killed quite a few, but they still don't sacrifice. You have to give human beings something good, something really good. Ishu had an idea about this, but he needed help. He went to his friend Ifa, God of Wisdom. And Ifa said, I know why you're here. We need to give something good to the human beings, and I know just the thing. We can make it from 16 palm nuts, but you have to go to Arungan's garden and get them. Get the nuts and get their meaning. Arungan was a very powerful god, and his palm trees were full of monkeys who jealously guarded the palm nuts. Ishu thought about climbing up into the trees, but the trunks were too smooth. So he sat down on the ground and yelled up at the monkeys. Hey, you nitpicking airheads, you mindless chatterers, he called. And he said many other very insulting things, and the angry monkeys threw a few nuts down at him. But monkeys are clever too. And they soon stopped. Ishu then switched to cajoling and flattery, and we don't know what all he said, but the monkeys eventually did give him all 16 of the desired nuts, but not without a grudge. You got these nuts through guile, Ishu, the monkeys told him, so we won't tell you what they mean. We will give you a piece of advice, though. Consult with each of the 16 gods. Ishu had half of the big, great gift for humankind. Now he had to get the rest. Ishu took the 16 palm nuts and he went to each of the 16 gods. He asked each one to tell him the meaning of each of the 16 nuts. Some of the gods were pretty reluctant to share all that they knew, but Ishu was very persistent and they were very hungry. When Ishu was done, he had 256 sayings, that's 16 times 16, which was a lot of divine wisdom. He took the nuts and their meanings back to Ifa, and Ifa came up with a system of divination that bears his name today. Ishu then went down to earth, and he explained Ifa's system, the nuts and their meanings, to the human beings. Now you can know the will of the gods, he told them, and act on your own behalf. You can see evil coming and avoid it. You can call on the gods for help. But in exchange for these powers, you must sacrifice to the gods. You must feed us. The human beings thought this was a great deal. The commerce between heaven and earth now moved along a two-way street, and the humans were happy to sacrifice once again. In exchange for this divine knowledge and the power over their own lives, they were willing to feed the gods. They roasted goat and fowl and fish and yams, 
they left sweets. They gladly poured oil and shared feathers and beads and cowrie shells. The human beings poured out big glasses of palm wine. The sixteen gods were fed. Everyone was satisfied. As for Ishu, he receives the first portion of every sacrifice because he solved the problems of heaven and earth. The End The system of Ifa divination in this story is a very elegant and complex one that is still practiced today. Like the Tarot or the I Ching, which you may be more familiar with, it's not so much a way of foretelling the future as it is a way of understanding in a deeper way your current situation and options. You remember at the beginning of this show I said that part of Ashe, of coolness, of effectiveness in the world, is the ability to recognize significant communications. And one of these forms of communication is Ifa and other systems like it. Now, from the Yoruban perspective, there is a lot of active commerce between heaven and earth. The world their mythology describes is one where there is full participation of the invisible divine forces in our world here on earth. It is not a place where God is way up there and we are way down here. So, Ishu the Trickster. That's it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth and the Mojave for this week. I hope you enjoyed the stories and tune in again here at Radio Free Joshua Tree next Saturday at 3. If you have questions about today's program or mythology in general, feel free to email me at mythicmojo at gmail.com. And consider yourself invited to the High Desert Mythological Roundtable, which will meet this Tuesday, April 30th from 7 to 9 p.m. at the Red Arrow Gallery in Joshua Tree. We're currently reading and telling a fantastic Greek myth, the Odyssey. The Odyssey is about the adventures and hard wandering of Odysseus, who is trying to get back home to his family in Kingdom in Ithaca after the Trojan War. Interestingly enough, Odysseus is a bit of a trickster, which is one thing that we'll think about on the 30th. You can find these stories and many others online at www.catherinesvela.com. And next week, I will tell another story about somebody who is trickster-like, if not an actual trickster. The myth of Prometheus from Greek mythology and how he gave human beings fire. In the meantime, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in your life alive.